Well, we are at Deuteronomy chapter 15 as we continue verse by verse through the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Really cool portion of Deuteronomy. Things start moving really quickly and we start seeing these uh, summaries of these laws. But at the same time, it gets a little strange because they are so different. We're going to talk about poverty laws and then we're going to talk about slavery and then we're going to talk about getting your ear pierced. I mean, it, it gets moving pretty quick. But all of it is going to point to the sinfulness of man and our fallen nature, and all of it is going to point to our need for a Savior, for our Lord Jesus. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to read the first six verses of chapter 15. Lord, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. We pray that you would continue to guide and direct us through your word. We thank you that we have this oasis in the week where we can spend time together at your feet, learning from your word, Lord, as you continue to teach us so faithfully. And so we lift this evening up to you and pray that you would guide and direct us as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Verses 1 through 6. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debt. And this this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor nor his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner, you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no poor among you, for the Lord will greatly bless in the land which the, excuse me, let's get back a little bit, get that right. For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. Only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. Let's work backwards. They shall not reign over you. Well, that definitely did not happen. And why is that? Well, the promise was told there. If you follow the commandments, if you're careful to observe the commandments with care, it says in verse 5, then the Lord will bless you. No one will reign over you, and you'll be lending out to others. You'll never take a debt. Well, this didn't happen. They didn't listen. Because if you go back to the beginning, it says at the end of seven years, you shall grant the release of debts. So every seven years, if you owed anybody any money, in the nation of Israel, when they go into the promised land, the loan was over. So right now in, in politics, they're talking about student debt release. Well, that would happen every seven years. Every seven years, all student debts would be paid. All mortgages would be paid. All businesses would be paid. All credit cards would be paid off. You wouldn't owe anything every seven years. No debts. Now, there's a couple of different things I want to point out by this. Number one, if the people of Israel had been obedient to this, which there is no historical proof at all that they ever were, and then second, remember the reason they were taken into captivity in Babylon, because they didn't keep the year of Jubilee. The Lord, they owed the Lord those years of Jubilee. They never did it. But think about it. Now, I, I want to clarify this very quickly. I am not saying that I am supporting the right or the left in terms of politics in the United States of America here. 
I am simply going to give us some biblical principles because we're going to be making some economic statements and everyone's going to say, oh, Mike has lost his mind. He's become a leftist. No, I'm teaching the Bible. And then there's a few of you that may in another portion be like, oh, here he goes, a right-wing lunatic now. Close, but no. Bible, 100% biblical fundamentalist here. If the nation of Israel had kept this, it would be impossible for there to be a class system where the super rich owe all of the lower class people and everyone's indebted to them with 30-year mortgages and long-time student loans and incredible debt, credit card debt. If you think about the history of the United States and you think about the 17th and, well, the 18th and 19th century, so the 1700s and 1800s, you had companies, even here in South Carolina, with the, the lumber mills in the middle of the state, the lumber company owed the land, they owned the land, then they owned the general store, then they owned the house that you rented from, and so you were always going to be in debt to the company, you couldn't go anywhere. And so you were owned by them. Well, if they followed the biblical principles, that would never happen, because every six years, they were just going to get off debt-free. And you could never loan shark other people. You couldn't take advantage of them because you wouldn't be able to have these long-term duties. And they're like, oh, gosh, there he goes. He's a leftist. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's talk here, verses 7 through 11. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his needs, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. Now, I want you to remember verse 11 as we talk about this. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, and your needy in your land. So now we have the other side. The other side is saying, hey, you can't now say, well, I'm not going to give any loans because I'm not going to make any money off of it, so why would I give it to anybody? I'm just not going to do it. And the Lord is already anticipating this in the heart of his sinful people. And he's saying, listen, that should never be an excuse to help out, to help others. Now, the Bible also says, because remember it says, if there is a poor brother. It says in verse 7, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren. But then in verse 11, it says, the poor will never cease from the land. There's always going to be poor people. It has been well said that if we took all the money in the world and we redistributed it to every person equally, and each person had the exact same means, within 10 years, there will be super rich and there will be super poor. How, how come? What, what is the deal here? Because there's people trying to do that, right? There's people that are saying on one extreme it doesn't matter if you have all the money in the world, you should just be able to do with it whatever you want and not care about anybody else. 
There's another extreme that says, if you have a lot of money, you're an evil person. And how could you possibly allow all this pain and suffering? We need to distribute it among all the people. But if we look at it, the Bible already knows the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it reveals the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That man is deceitfully wicked. That in one moment we say, everybody needs to help me, and I need a handout, and we need to um, really help all of our brothers. But the second that we are told, well, you're not going to make any more money now. You're not going to get any interest. Well, wait a minute. What's in it for me? Why, why am I the one being left out here? Like I, I like to say in business, it's very easy to spend somebody else's money. But the second we want to redistribute your wealth, you're like, well, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because this is when things get convicting. In the United States of America, we know that there is a minority of people. They call them one percenters or ten percenters, whatever they want to call them. They own 55% of the stock market. They are the wealthiest people on the planet, on the planet. And then for some people, they're like, well, praise the Lord. You know, America's very prosperous. Other people are like, this is abysmal. This is the worst thing in the whole planet. How could we possibly allow this? And we want to we do something about it. But then when you change the scale, if you make more than $55,000 a year, if you make more than $55,000 a year, even as a couple, you're in the top 10% of the planet. Should we redistribute what you have to them? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not that rich. It, all of a sudden, we get real relative, don't we? What rich is, what poor is. In God's economy, he's worried about the heart, not the wallet. The Bible is telling us in the book of Deuteronomy over and over and over again, you cannot legislate morality. Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. But then he also said that we are to take care of others, to love others, to forgive others. We're to take care of the poor. But he didn't legislate it because there's no rule that man cannot figure out a way to escape. There is no law on the planet that we do not pay people tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to wiggle out of to get advice of it. You think I'm being um, extreme? How, many, how much money are we paying our tax people right now to try and get out of paying taxes? If not personally, corporately. We have tax lawyers and tax specialists. We have CPAs. We have accountants. We, we have whole groups of people set up on how to do that. Now, I'm just making a neutral statement. I'm not for or against it because I'm, I'm just like everybody else. I Side note, the Bible says that we are to give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but not a penny more. <laughs> and so if Caesar says, I can get my tax rebate, I'm getting my tax rebate, it's, as long as I'm within the confounds of the law. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6.10 that as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. But then let's talk about the church, and let's talk about us as Christians. How are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to navigate this? Because the end of Galatians 10 says, 6.10 says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially to those of the household of faith. And then here we have a principle in Deuteronomy. Remember, it says you cannot loan anything more than six years, except for verse 3. What did it say there? Of a foreigner, you may require it. So those that were in the family, in the tribes, 
you could never do this. But if it was a foreigner, they said, oh, okay, if they want to. If they want to. What is God getting after here? He does not want his people to be in bondage. He does not want his people to be focused on money. He does not want his people to be focused on taking advantage of other people. Because when you say the poor in the church, there are people out there that 100% believe that the poor is the church's problem and that the poor, the church's responsibility 100% is to provide and give out sustenance, provision, and housing to the poor. They think that's the church's sole purpose. Jesus did not have his ministry providing for the poor. Think about this for a minute. Did he bless others? Yes. Did he provide for them? Yes. Did he give them food? The miracle of the the loaves and the fishes? Yes, but that was a one-time, two-time event, really, if you want to be biblical. What did he spend his time talking about? He spent his time talking about heaven and hell. He, talk, he spent his time talking about the eternal. He said, if you give a cup of water even to the least of these, you give it as unto me. He didn't say to ignore the poor, no. He didn't say do nothing about the poor, absolutely not. The priority of the church is to preach and teach the word of God, to make disciples of all nations is the commandment, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The poor you will have with you always. We're to take care of our own first, but we are also to do good as as we have opportunity, but that is not the priority. Opportunity is not the priority. The priority is the the reading and teaching of God's word and our growing it. Why? Why? Because we can feed the whole world and they could lose their souls. This is a discussion that happens a lot, especially when it comes to our missionary resources. The financial needs of the third world are innumerable. And so little goes so far. But we could feed whole towns. We could feed whole villages. We can give well water, and we can give purified water, and we can give food, and we can make hospitals, and we can do all kinds of stuff. But if you don't change the heart of the people, if the heart of the people don't change, it's all for nothing. I can give you a secular example. How many billions of dollars and lives were spent in Afghanistan, but the hearts of the people were not changed? That's a secular example. That's a non-biblical example. So we need to first get our hearts right with God first. If you get your heart right with God, a.k.a. you give it up entirely and he gives you a new one, once he gives you a new heart, Now you are led by the law of love, compassion, mercy, justice. Only God can give us those priorities in that perfect balance. Otherwise, whether we're the super rich or the super poor, we take advantage for our own selfish desires. That's what's being shown here. And just to um, exacerbate it, In the nation of Israel, they were able to do this with their lives. They were able to put their lives on loan. Let me show you what I'm talking about in verses 12 through 15. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, 
Then in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away, free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally with your flock, with your threshing floor, and from your winepress. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. It was possible that you could get so poor that you could be so in debt that you could sell yourself. And as a Hebrew, the limit was always going to be six years. On the seventh, you were always going to be allowed to be set free. And when you were set free, here it's commanded that you're to give them the best. You're supposed to help them out to start over again, to, be, to go back out. But we know from Exodus, if you remember back um, so many weeks ago when we were in Exodus, the Bible said that if you had a Hebrew slave and you had a, a male and a Hebrew slave was a female and they wanted to get married, they could get married. But let's say that that um, Hebrew slave, the, the lady, was not going to be set free. Let's say that she had already given herself as a bondservant. Now it's the, the male's turn. He can be set free. But if he wanted to stay with his family, the family's not going with him. So he had to make a decision. Am I going to stay here or am I going to lose my family to leave, to be free? Now, I, you feel that denseness, that tension in the air? Like, oh, that's not right. That's not right. See, that's because we're focusing again on the letter of the law. If the master, if the man, if the person that's in charge has a heart that's on the law of love, the law of love would not allow that to happen. Either they could go, both go free, or we'll see later, maybe the man wants to stay. But what do we know, being in the world? All right, this guy's a good worker. He thinks he's only here for six years, but if I can get him to fall in love with this girl, then he's going to stay. Because if they have kids, if they have kids, I'm going to own them. The heart. It's the heart that can take these laws and twist them and turn them to try and take advantage one over another. Has anybody ever worked in a dead-end job where you could never get out of it? You feel like you're stuck. You're financially always in a position where you can never leave to even go to another interview. Now, in the 21st century America, we have it so good here. Even the worst of these stories that we think of, there's opportunity. But it wasn't so many decades ago. Here in South Carolina, I just gave you an example. I, I, walked, um, I drove by that mill a couple of weeks ago while I was Wikipedia in it, and I was learning about the company store and the company houses. The, the houses are still there, but they've been sold off. And, you, and I saw how you would be an indentured servant to a company. Those people were never going to leave, ever. The system had been made around them. There's a couple of different points that we're trying to make here. Number one is that the law leads us to Christ. That's what Galatians told us very clearly. The law is a schoolmaster that leads men to Christ. Because you can even take the perfect law of God and misuse it to take advantage of others. But as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, if we're guided by love, the law of grace, the grace that God has given us, everything changes. And we use the law of liberty, as it says in Romans, when Paul says, I can do all things. I can do all things 
All things are lawful for me, he says. All things are lawful for me, but I will not come under the power of any. That we can use this liberty to bless other people instead of the law to enslave others. The second thing is for each and every one of us, we need to have our hearts checked. Because in one moment, we may think that we're blessing other people when really we're hurting them. Or in one area, we think we're hurting them when really we're blessing them. We need the word of God to discern our thoughts and intentions because we can deceive even ourselves. A New Testament warning to believers is do not be deceived. Multiple times of reference, do not be deceived. Being deceived is thinking things are one thing when they're really another. We can be deceived into thinking that God is blessing us financially in business when you're taking advantage of your employees. We can be, we can be deceived in thinking you're blessing and prospering your employees and you're ruining the, the business and everyone's going to go bankrupt. It is the discernment of God, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that will discern those, those things in your life. But left to ourselves, it never works out well. We need the Holy Spirit. But what happens, what happens when that law of love comes into play? Let's read verses 16 to 18. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you, then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant, you shall do likewise. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you for he has been worth a double hired servant in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. So what if you got a, a person that they've lost everything, they, they've gotten so poor, they've lost a family plot, because remember the, the, the land goes with the families in the nation of Israel. And so they've sold themselves as an indentured servant. And the six years is coming up. And they're just like, you know, I don't, I don't really think I can do this on my own. I just, I love it here. I love my job. I love what I'm doing. I love this family. I want to stay here. Then they can make a commitment to stay there. Notice what is the underlying tone here. Love. Because he loves you, verse 16, and your house. And he is prospering. He's giving he is making the household, the master of the household, prosperous since he prospers you. So let's say that he's a really bad slave. He wants to run away all the time. And then he's like, yeah, no, 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 I changed my mind. Nope, that doesn't work either. So this person is a person that's working hard. They're dedicated, this indentured servitude. And then they're saying, I want to stay here and I want to work for you. Then he has to make this testament. He has to go to the door he has to put his ear on the door. I can't even imagine. And then an awl is a spike. It's a tool that's used in leather working. You puncture the leather, you make the hole, and then you can sew through it. When I used to do carpet a long time ago, we had an awl, and that's how you get the carpet up. You'd, get, you'd stab the carpet, and you'd pull it off the tack strip. You know the sticky stuff on the end of the carpet at the end of the walls? You step on it, and you're like, ouch, that hurts. Well, you pull it off of there. 
And imagine taking that tool and having it shoved in your ear. Why would anyone do this, you think to yourself, especially here in America? We love our freedom, right? Don't tread on me. You are not taking me to a doorpost for anybody, right? That's what we think. It's a complete knee-jerk reaction. But Paul said, I am a bond servant for Christ. Paul is saying, I love my master Jesus so much, I am an indentured servant to him forever. I'm going to prosper his needs. His needs come above my needs. His life, his work is above my life. I'm going to give it to Christ. I'm going to give it to him. I am a bond servant, a bond slave, depending on your, your translations. So when Paul is saying that, this is what he's identifying here with Deuteronomy chapter 15. He is saying, it is no longer I who live. I can't do life good enough. I can't live on my own good enough. I'm just broken. Everything's messed up. It is better in my master's house. I want to serve him forever. This is an important principle as a Christian because some Christians believe they are working off a debt. Some Christians believe that discipleship is that God bought us slaves on an auction block and that he bid for us and he owns us because he took us. Quite frankly, that's what the Calvinist believes. They believe that God has his irresistible grace and you don't even have a choice in the matter. You're saved because he made you. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 15, which Paul is identifying with, he is saying, no, no, no. My master, he made a way for me of salvation. He took the all. He took the spike. He took the tent, the, uh, tent spike. He took the nails for me on the cross. But I am giving my life freely out of love. I'm giving it to the Lord. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Well, we have this conversation, at least you should have at least once in your life with somebody why do you go to church all the time? There are people who believe that I am uh, just a slave to God and I'm a slave to his Bible. I have to do whatever he says. I don't have to do anything in the Bible. I don't have to come to church. I don't have to be a pastor. I don't have to do any of those things. Christ has set me free by his blood and his work, not mine. I'm not saved by my works. I'm saved by my faith. So why do these things? Because I love him. I want more of him in, his, in my life. And anything that he tells me to do, I'm going to be better for it than if I choose to do it myself. So I go to the front door and I'm like, this is going to hurt, but it's going to be worth it. Excited, joyful to be able to serve my master. And that's how our Christian walk should be as well, as disciples for Christ, as bond servants, as slave for Christ. He didn't make you do it. You get to choose. And if you don't want to do it, he set you free. Go ahead, go. Go ahead, go. Go. Don't, don't come to church on Wednesday nights you don't want to. Don't come to church on Sunday morning. You don't want to. Don't watch it online. Don't get the extra Bibles. Don't spend the prayer time. You don't have to do any of it. You're dumb, but you don't have to do any of it. <laughs> love. A Christ-given agape love. A deep sacrifice that he gave for each and every one of us. Now, there's one more example that's even deeper than this before we go to verses 19 to 21. That is, Jesus is the ultimate example of the bondservant because he humbled himself and he went to the door. He went to the cross for us 
humbling himself under the mighty hand of the, God, of the Father, submitting his life to the Father. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he became the ultimate suffering servant, the master of all, the Alpha, the Omega, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, became a servant. What did Jesus say? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. And so, knowing that Jesus is God in the flesh, 100% God, 100% man, the second member of the triunity, the co-equal Godhead of the co-equal Godhead, he humbled himself to the will of the Father and became our ultimate example. And he laid down his life for his friends. He said that my life is not as important as God's will, which is ultimately his will. And we're to do the same, but only if you want to. Now, verses 19 through 21 seemingly has a subject change but ultimately, there's no real subject change in the Bible. The volume of the book is speaking of him. So now in verse 19, all the firstborn males that come from your herd and your flock, you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place which the Lord chooses. But if there's a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You may eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean person alike may eat it as if it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it on the ground like water. Are you kind of like scratching your head? Like, what in the world? We were just talking about slaves. And first we were talking about, um, what were we talking about? I got lost. Man, that's a long day. Okay, debts, thank you. We were talking about debts and the, the seventh year of Jubilee, and then we set free, and then we were talking about slavery. Then we were talking about getting to be free from slavery. Yes, we want that. And then we were talking about choosing to be slaves. Who wants to do that? That's dumb. And then we were like, no, wait a minute. That does sound awesome if it's for God. And then now we're going to talk about the firstborn. What is wrong? What is going on here? But it all ties together. See, the firstborn, who is the preeminent firstborn? Jesus Christ is the firstborn of creation. Never born he's always existed from everlasting to everlasting but he is the firstborn in position he is as if he is the firstborn the most important the preeminent one second israel is god's firstborn it's called that multiple times in the old testament and here it says the firstborn males are to be set apart that's what sanctified means set apart holy to the lord your god and it says you can't use the firstborn, you can't put it in your herd. So that's a big deal in this agricultural uh, economy at that time. So you have a sheep, you have a couple of sheep, you make money off your sheep flock, you get a, a brand new sheep that comes of age, and it's firstborn sheep. You're like, great, awesome. Now I'm going to take this investment that's taken years, and I'm going to go give it to God. Now this sheep is going to be sacrificed to God or it's going to be purchased. We went through that in the book of Leviticus. But let's go through the sacrifice because that's what's listed here. And that sacrifice is given for the remission of sins. It's given for the firstborn sacrifice dedicated to God as well. 
Remission of sins is a separate sacrifice. I'm sorry, I'm confusing those two. But this sacrifice is to be eaten within the gates, fellowship with God. Remember, in the Old Testament, there's no access to God aside from the temple or the tabernacle, depending on its time. And you can only come through the priest, only through a male Levite, only without blemish, only on a certain day, only on the feast days, you can make this sacrifice. So this is the only time you're going to make fellowship with God, and it's through the firstborn, the firstborn sacrifice. I hope some of you are tracking where we're going with this. And so God, Jesus himself, gives himself as a sacrifice. He is the firstborn, and we have fellowship with God through Jesus who gave his life as a ransom through many because he submitted himself to the master's will, the slave that decided to follow after God. The firstborn is sacrificed, gives his life as a ransom for many, and now we have a fellowship meal with Christ. The Bible says through the book of Hebrews, we can come boldly through the throne, through the veil, through our great high priest by the order of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ, through him. And so when we pray, when my... When my littlest uh, one, I say, who wants to pray for dinner? And my youngest one says, I want to pray. And he's praying like the cutest little prayer. Jesus, he's looking at his mom. Bless this food. Look at his mom. Is that good? He never looks at me, only his mom. I have a good day. Amen. Look at his mom. That went straight to the throne room of God through Jesus Christ. And we're like, oh, that's cute. I hope you have a real prayer on day. That's not what Jesus thinks. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. Don't stop the little children from coming unto me. And because he gave himself as a ransom for many, my youngest is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. If he's not a believing age, he's blessed by the family. Book of Acts, that's another study for another day. And we have this position with God because of what he did for us. You guys didn't think you were going to get all this in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15, did you? The word of God is it's just like a gold mine. All you got to do is get your shovel and dig in a little bit. There's so much there. No defect. The firstborn can have no defect. Christ was investigated for defects before the Sanhedrin, before Pontius Pilate. They couldn't find a law that he could break. Pontius Pilate, I find no fault in you. All of this, the whole Bible, the whole book from Genesis to Revelation is speaking of our Lord and Savior. Man, we should run to the door, shouldn't we? We should run, like right now. Come on, right here. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. But are you willing to give up your freedom willingly to Christ? To the American brain, this is revolting. Give up your freedom. No. Just a knee-jerk reaction, right? Give up. No. Lay down your rights to God. Lay down rights? Are you kidding me? We're not laying down any rights in 1776. But that's not what the Bible says. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christ follower? Are you, as Paul said, a bond servant of God? Because there's biblical examples for this as well. Remember that Paul had Roman citizenship. And every once in a while, he would bring that out. But he didn't flaunt it. He didn't say he was, uh, he wasn't upset about not being treated like a Roman. What upset him was not being able to preach the gospel. That was far more important to him than anything else. 
he was set free in Christ, but then when he went back to Jerusalem, he shaved his head and he followed all the religious rituals. Why? He said, because to the Jews, I became a Jew. To the Greeks, I became a Greek. To the weak, I became weak. All that he could teach the gospel. He was not as important as the gospel that he taught. What about us? Are you willing to lay down in uh, a late morning, sleeping in, to spend some time with the Father? Are you willing to lay down your reputation and maybe share the gospel when somebody makes fun of you? Are you willing to lay down a Sunday morning, maybe not watch the football games and head on into church and receive from him? You don't have to do any of these things. You don't. But if you do, let it be by love. Let it be by knowing your master, the work that he's done for us to set us free to choose those things. And when you do that, you'll know what it says in the song, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day, better is one day, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I pray that you continue to build an excitement in us to be in your word, to to see these things, these not-so-secret truths that are laid out plainly before us. Help us to love you more. I thank you, Lord, that even those of us here that feel like we don't have the faith, you tell us you're the author and finisher of our faith. Give us more faith this evening, Lord. Give us more love for you, a greater passion for you, the greater desires. You know our hearts. They're deceitfully wicked, Lord. You know that we would use these things as an opportunity to bless and feed ourselves. But, Father, we pray what John the Baptist prayed, more of you and less of us. Give us the strength to lay these things down and to follow after you. As we normally do on Wednesday nights, Lord, we lift up the rest of this time to you as we close out this prayer, praying one after another, Lord, so we can all agree and pray together. In Jesus' name.